Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What with the war in Ukraine, then Israel and Gaza, you might have missed this. Citizens in the Sierra Leonean capital, Freetown, woke up on Sunday morning to the sound of heavy gunfire, as well as reports of armed men near the presidential palace. The latest round of turmoil in Sierra Leone, West Africa. In Sierra Leone, at least 13 soldiers have been killed during a series of armed attacks in the country's capital. Armed gunmen tried to break into key military locations. The assaults allowed nearly 2,000 inmates to escape from prison. So, sorry, tell me again. So the tear gas pop, 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 what did they do then? Yeah, what did you do? Did any of them see then the prisoners coming did through? Did you see yes. 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 Down the wall. Anthony Lloyd. The veteran Times war correspondent has a long history with the country, 26 years on from his first trip. He's been back. Do they worry that maybe there is going to be war in their lives? Or do they think this was just a... Are you worried that there's going to be war? Yes! Anthony met some of the children, now adults, who grew up in the chaos he reported on. And she didn't go to school herself. No. She was trafficked as a domestic servant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is Exactly. This is a troubled story about child slavery and prostitution. We'll hear firsthand from those who survived this and hear how. Can she remember her parents at all? Did you remember the police? Mm-hmm. No. Some of her colleagues, some have died, some they're not living in a very deplorable condition, but now she can stood up with her head upright. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, growing up as a street child in Sierra Leone. My name is Anthony Lloyd and I'm a special correspondent for The Times. And you've just come back from Sierra Leone in West Africa, a country that you've been to many times and... Interestingly, with everything else is going on in the world at the moment, people might not have noticed that Sierra Leone has actually had another coup attempt the other week. Can you tell us what was happening there? Yeah, so this was on the in the early hours that started of uh, November the 26th, which was the Sunday, and was coincidentally the day that I actually flew into Sierra Leone. And Gosh. it really shows how fragile some aspects of the country still are, in that the coup attempt started with a fairly small group of armed men, kind of renegade soldiers, attacking one of the main armories in Freetown, the country's capital. There are only about eight soldiers involved in attacking this mm. armory. 
at the beginning. They had some help from the inside. They managed to break into the armory. They got hold of some ammunition. They got hold of some more weapons. They then went off to the main prison in Freetown. And there, they effected a jailbreak, which released over 1,800 prisoners, including some people who were held there who had previously been charged with planning a coup. Now, not many people were killed, luckily. I think a total of about 20 people were killed. Most of those were soldiers supportive of the government. And then the assailants were dispersed into the jungle and a series of arrests have have been made since. But what's interesting is how basically a relatively small group of armed men managed to kind of rampage around the capital without Mm. really being challenged uh, until after dawn. And... Many listeners will actually not have been paying attention to what's been happening in Sierra Leone, maybe since the UK was involved in the 2000s in the civil war there. Is what's happening there at the moment indicative of the wider trend that's been happening, certainly further north on the continent of Africa, in the Sahel, all the coups that we've seen there and actually that we've talked about on the podcast in the, in the past? The pressures are different, but what is interesting with Sierra Leone is that there was a contested presidential election back in the summer. Various observers said that the results, the vote counting, was not transparent. So there's been this political tension between the opposition party and the incumbent presidency ever since. And it is a country that has huge economic frailties. And that instability, that economic vulnerability, does it bleed into violence that you, I guess, have to be wary of when you're going there to report? Um, Not like it did in the old days, that's for sure. I mean, you've got to be conscious of of how you're walking and where you're walking and what you're carrying when you're walking. But largely, no, I didn't feel it. I found, as I always do, even in the bad times, I found Sierra Leone a very vibrant place. There's a lot of joy there. How old are you? 12 years I'm 57. That's a lot. Wow. <laughs> 12 years old. What's your name? There was one particular area hmm. that we were working in, Crew Bay, which is the most infamous slum area in Freetown. I was there with an activist, the founder of a charity there, the founder of a school there. was a former child soldier actually so he you know he knew hardship during the war i was a child soldier you know i fought for three years got some bullet wounds so after that some of my colleagues were on the streets just smoking stealing i requested for education i had to start something new and we can't fight because when you fight you lose not all of these kids parents or families have the money to find another school This is the only place they can have the opportunity to get an education. And so I was working with him, and that was my uh, passport to working there. There were, it was a rough, tough place. You could see there were some street gangs in some areas. You could see that there was a large addict community of youth addicted to this new drug, which has been on the streets called Kush, which is a kind of cannabinoid chemical version mixed in with all sorts of chemicals and on occasions human bone and embalming fluid as well is highly addictive and is is, is quite a scourge yeah embalming yeah yeah it's made out of what human bones and chemicals they talk about human bones they talk about there's a chemical that is used to spray dead bodies that they used to mix all of those things why those things 
it kind of hits off into kind of weird traditional belief systems, which sometimes overlap with drug use. And, you know, I could see certainly in, in Crew Bay, this particular slum area, if you walk to a certain section of it, there's a small area of particular drug ghetto there where you see about 20 or 30 guys sitting in an L-shaped yard all completely off their heads on Kush. But I mean, it's not all like that. So no, it certainly wasn't like going to a war zone. The, the mm. overwhelming impression was of the penetration of extreme poverty into people's lives and particularly into the way that can affect childhood. You were in Sierra Leone in part to see some of the work that, that the charity Street Child does. And in particular, you've written about in the paper the story of a 28-year-old woman, Alima Bangura. Tell us about her and her incredible story. So this was a young woman I met, as you say, now 28 years old. Uh, Alima's her first name. That's the only name she's ever known. Bangura is not her name. It was a name she adopted later in life because she doesn't know her real name. She was deprived of a childhood to such an extent that she has no recall of her parents. Her first memory, her first memory is of being trafficked from Sierra Leone as a very, very small child to a house in Guinea. She still remember the relative that took her, this of our relative, took her to the friend and tell Alima that this is the house you're going to stay. She was taken there by a woman who she has some hazy recall might have been some type of relative, not her mother. She has no memory of her parents. She was taken to this house. There there was a family. It was a couple and their six children. Stayed with them for a few years only. She was never to be part of that family. She was in servitude. The family who you were with in Conakry, how did they treat you? None of them they treat me well at all. She was an illiterate house servant whose task was to do the chores around the house, get the other children ready for school, though herself she was always deprived of the chance to go to school, frequently scolded and ordered about. It was a, a, a rough, tough life of child enslavement. Then one day, mm. when still a small girl, suddenly... The woman whose house it was announced that her, her work there was over and that she would be taken to the city of Kenema in Sierra Leone by a man. She was taken to a rendezvous point, which was an empty house. There the man raped her and left and didn't come back. Now he raped me back there because I guess I was there for sleep now or to go sleep. So now he raped me back there. So after that, I'm back. The very day, early morning, now he returned. She's in a house in a city she doesn't know, where people speak a language, Creole, that she doesn't speak. She hides in the house for a further day, getting hungry, you know, more and more frightened. And then she ventures forth. She doesn't know who to turn to for help. But one of the first groups of people she sees are a group of young women, young girls on the streets. So she approaches them. She tries to communicate, unbeknownst to her, they're commercial sex workers, underage commercial sex workers. And so they managed to say to her, hey, stick with us. We'll show you how to survive commercial sex work. That was how she, she came in contact with her friends. She had no option but to go out at night, go in shots of men, you know, engage in sexual activities, and she's got paid after sex. 
if we think about that time in Sierra Leone and what was happening around her, if she's 28 now, so she was born, I guess, around sort of mid-90s, 1995, what was mid-90s Sierra Leone like? That was war. That was in the midst of what was an 11-year-long war by the government and a rebel army called the Revolutionary United Front. There were atrocities committed by both sides, but the Revolutionary United Front were a terrible organisation who specialised in the spread of terror. They had a huge amount of child soldiers fought alongside the RUF. These are SBUs, small boy units, you know, kids as young as 10 or 11, 12. Often the induction rituals that they went through as members of the RUF involved sometimes eating the livers of dead soldiers and uh, and such like. There was an overlap with a lot of traditional faiths. You used to get some pretty bleak layovers between atrocity, war crime, and perverted forms of traditional belief systems. They were very bloody years, very wild years. I've been there in 97 when the Revolutionary United Front actually took over Freetown. And I remember those days well. I met some of the commanders of the rebel group then. I remember my first encounter with child soldiers there from the RUF, where there's a lot of dead Nigerian soldiers lying around who'd just been killed in in a gunfight, being eaten by vultures. And um, I remember being got out of a car at gunpoint by a kid who was about 11 years old. This kid had obviously been involved in the rebel ranks for a long time because he was so confident in his own authority. He was like, you know, I tried to engage him in conversation. He's like, don't talk to me, don't look at me, just stand still and let me do the questions. This kid about 11 years old with a Kalashnikov. 2000, there was a British intervention in support of the Sierra Leonean Armed Forces and they effectively repelled the rebels. And then there was then, there were peace talks, there was a ceasefire, and eventually the rebels disbanded, they were demobilised, disarmed. Now, more or less, since then, Sierra Leone has had peace, but you've got to remember it was ravaged by the Ebola pandemic in 2014. Everywhere you heard the wail of sirens. That's what I remember all day, the wail of sirens and these you know, expansive cemeteries being dug for the Ebola dead. It was, it was really dramatic, really, really mm. dramatic. And then just as its economy was kind of struggling to its feet again, it also got hit by you know, the COVID pandemic, same as everyone else. Mm. Thinking about, Anthony, that those bloody and wild years, as you called them, in the sort of late 90s and early 2000s, with a civil war raging in the country, the British getting involved in that. Just explain for, for anybody who oh, I can't remember or wasn't alive then, why were the British involved? Because Sierra Leone was a former colony, the Brits still had a very you know large presence there, and it was one of the interventions in an age where intervention has got a bad name. It was one of the interventions like Kosovo, which was extremely successful and actually initiated the end of the war. Hmm. And so, if all of this is happening in the two thousands, if we return to Alima, who you were telling us about, who you met through Street Child, when we left her story, she had just fallen in with this group of of young girls, as she saw them in this unknown city, who turned out to be underage sex workers. 
how did Alima then fare in that world? So she told me very matter-of-factly, I spent a year in Kenema working the streets at night, trying to find men for paid sex. Then I moved to the city of McKinney in central Sierra Leone. And I worked there with my friends who are young girls and prostitutes too. Sometimes we'd live together in a rented room and work at night. We'd work either the lorry park or outside a nightclub called the Flamingo. They get their clientele there. So life continued, often very violent. She told me about how she was beaten sometimes by punters who would, uh, you know, assault her and take money. And ever the risk of sexually transmitted diseases, of HIV. And she said it was a miserable life. I thought I would live my life as a prostitute and die as a young woman on the streets. And then one night, this is late 2008, she uh, was outside the Flamingo nightclub and she saw a car and she went to solicit the occupants thinking they were guys who, who wanted to pay for sex. But in fact, they weren't punters. Coming up. The encounter 15 years ago this month, which turned Alima's life around. That's in a moment. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. It's 15 years ago, December 2008, and Alima, then just 13 years old, has approached a car outside the Flamingo nightclub, thinking they were punters. But... In the car were some social workers from Street Child, which was then launching its inaugural mission in Sierra Leone. A chance encounter that would change her life. So Street Child, which is now, you know, a very fast-growing international charity, works across 22 different countries, but at the time... It had only just been founded. It had been registered just a month before the encounter between the social workers and Alima. And the people in the Carter spoke to her very gently. They said, look, we're offering to help or support young women like you who have ended up working the streets. And they told her where their centre was, newly established in McKinney. And she told me, she laughed. She said to them, I'm not interested in rehabilitation. I need money. And she went off to try and solicit someone else. You see, we are not interested in what you're telling us. We want money because we have to look at ourselves in the coming day. So they ignore them. But a few nights later, that car was back. And she said it was a night when I hadn't found any clients. I didn't have any money. And I woke up the next day hungry. So when they came in the morning, they have a very good food here. Good breakfast. So like, so you can encourage me to break any day. Every day, 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 every
And I decided to visit the Street Child Centre, the newly founded Street Child Centre in McKinney. And in 2008, the first Street Child programme intended to rehabilitate up to 100 not just underage commercial sex workers, but also some of the boys, the young boys on the streets too. These are guys who run away from home or just out of school and working the streets as child labour or as part of criminal gangs on the streets. Most of that first batch of 100, though, were underage female commercial sex workers, including Alima. And one of the first attractions for these children visiting the street child centre was food. There was a sense of security. No one was going to assault them. For the girls, there was a nurse in a clinic so they could get checked out. And as Street Child, as the, the social workers there, the nurses there, began gaining the trust of these children, so they began to have counselling with them. And they identified what the underlying problems were that had put these children to work on the streets. Very often it was poverty, but it wasn't always poverty. Alima was more complicated. She had no home to go to. She didn't know who her parents were. She didn't even know her, what her surname was. So her rehabilitation took longer, but she was successfully mm. fostered a year later. When I met her just the week before last, she was running a successful mm. uh, hairdresser's salon. And of the seven staff she had there, three were former commercial sex workers who she had known from her time on the streets. Uh, she was married and had two children. Alima, it's a bit of a clumsy question. Forgive me if it's too clumsy. Have you got a man in your life now, like a good guy you're married? Do you have a boyfriend or some good good guy? No, I have a boyfriend. Yes, yes. 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 Yes, it wasn't like that for everybody. Of course it wasn't. Some mm. of the girls on the rehabilitation program went back on the streets. Some found new pressures in their life that they couldn't adapt to. Some disappeared. But there were great successes for the children of Street Child's inaugural project. Hmm. And how did Alima seem, though? I mean, on the face of it, she can have her life together with a with a job and a partner and security and the rest. But did you still get the sense that she was, as anyone must be, haunted by all that she experienced in, in her childhood and her teenage years? She was a very strong woman. She cried once right at the end of the conversation, but it was not at the sorrow of her lost childhood. It was with some kind of great awareness of, I guess, of, of a kind of personal victory that she had fought for herself in getting to where she is now, but also of a gratitude to Street Child. We were speaking with a, with a, a Street Child member of staff there. Thank God for yeah. street life. Thank God. Thank God. Some have died.
That was the Lima. It wasn't like that for everyone. And the pressures pushing children into these incredibly difficult lives that people like Alima grew up in do continue, of course. It's not as if that stopped and, and these charities are just dealing with the consequences, that there are still children going into these kind of lives. If you look back to 2008, I mean, Sierra Leone was one of the poorest countries in the world. It's no longer in that position, but it has a, you know, a, a lot of economic stress at the moment. And it's very difficult. There's different economic predictions now. Some people say that by 2025, Sierra Leone might have slid to be one of the poorest countries in the world again. Some people say that if it avoids coup, political unrest, it may actually, you know, its situation may improve. But the fact remains that for children in Sierra Leone, poverty is such that many children mm. either never go to school or leave school young. And the current figures are these. Only 46% of children who have attended a primary school will go on to a secondary school. The rest will go back into, you know, employment. That means could mean street work. It could mean working a farm, but it is child labour. These are huge challenges. The work of Street Child, which began with just four local staff and has now spread, I mean, internationally and in Sierra Leone, we are never going to cure the problems of uh, of Africa or of poverty itself just with the work of a charity. However, there is no doubt that Street Child now, I think, has got over 240,000 beneficiaries in Sierra Leone. There are more children now in school than ever before in Sierra Leone. So I can't say the whole situation is going to change in Sierra Leone. Poverty will end and all children will go to school. But I can say that the impact mm. of Street Child since its foundation there in 2008 has been huge. Mm. Do you know where you're off to next, Anthony? Uh, yes, I'm going back to Ukraine in January. God. Cold, by comparison. Yes. <laughs> You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Luke Jones, and my guest, special correspondent for The Times, Anthony Lloyd. Street Child is one of the charities being supported by our Christmas appeal this year. Every pound donated to Street Child by readers of The Times and The Sunday Times will be doubled up to £225,000. If you want to donate, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Christmas appeal. Or you can call 0151 284-2336. We'll put those details in the description of this episode. The producer was James Shield. The executive producer was Fiona Leach. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. Goodbye. <laughs>